Well, good morning, church family. Morning. Happy Sunday. Thank you for being here. It's great to worship God, isn't it? Amen. It is great to worship Him. Um, I'm Justin. I serve as a teaching pastor. I want to welcome our online friends. We are in a series called Grace Bomb, which is a little bit unsettling of a name. I get it, because over in Ukraine, our friends are experiencing surprising acts of destruction from bombs. So grace bombs are not that, right? Grace bombs, as we defined last week, are surprising acts of love motivated by Jesus. So where bombs that the world and cruel people perhaps drop that cause destruction and chaos and pain and devastation. Grace bombs are things that God has called us to drop on those around us that are surprising but not harmful. And they're life-changing and they're helpful. So last week was kind of fun as the author of Grace Bomb came and presented. Wasn't it a fantastic message? Man alive, it was incredible. I was down in these comfy reclining chairs at Regal Theaters in Binghamton, watching the simulcast and realizing we got to upgrade our chairs here at Green. Um, but uh, Pat has authored this book, Grace Bomb, and he gave it to us. It cost basically three bucks. He signed copies for us. They're out at the Welcome Center. You can pick up a copy. You can study it more for yourself or for your small group. But we do encourage you to read this because it's filled with stories of how people are doing it. And this week, I've gotten to hear a lot of fun stories of how people have done what he taught us last week. Load, listen, and let her rip. Or let her go. <laughs> All right? Load, listen, and let her go. So kind of the motivation for this whole series is a verse. And it's Ephesians 2.10, and I want to read it for you. It says this, For we are God's masterpiece. Do you believe that? Look at the person next to you and say, you are God's masterpiece. They were telling you the truth, because you are. You are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. For he has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So before the world was created... Before nations were made, before your family came into being, God had you in mind, and he even, more than that, more than just God having you in mind, he had already planned the good things that he designed you to do. That's kind of a weird concept, right? God didn't just create me and love me and think of me before the world began, but he literally has this bucket list for me of things that he wants me to do. How many of you have a bucket list of places and things? And yeah, a lot of you have bucket lists, right? And before we kick the bucket, we want to do the bucket list. And God's got this bucket list of stuff that he desires for us. And so the idea that we learned last week is that grace-built people, grace-bomb people, it's who we are, it's what we do. We do surprising acts of kindness motivated by Jesus. And so this week, I've got stories that I've heard of people that have taken the grace bomb cards, and they've used them in different ways. And some of you might feel like it's a gimmick or whatever. There's, there's nothing in here about Berean, 
Um, there's simply a little thing that says you've been grace bombed. It takes them to a website where they get to hear the good news about Jesus. It's just that simple. And so the way to use these is if you're at a restaurant, for instance, and you leave, don't use them if you leave a lousy tip. <laughs> That's not that grace bombing, right? But if you leave a really nice tip, and then include a grace bomb. There were people that actually did that this week. I just heard this morning a lady who grace bombed multiple um, food delivery workers this week. Uh, another lady grace bombed with a generous gift her shuttle driver at the, at the hospital. A student grace bombed his art teacher. Um, and so there's, there's just some cool stories of people that are, that are doing this. And I think more than anything, it's just being more aware of how we can make an impact on the people around us. So today we're going to look at the ultimate example of a grace bomber, and you're never going to guess who the best example of a grace bomber was. Jesus. If you guess the Sunday school answer, you're right. You nailed it. Jesus was the ultimate example. Jesus actually, this pattern of, of loading listening and let her go is the same pattern that Jesus demonstrated when he was on earth. And let me kind of explain. Jesus loaded in this way. He was prepared and he made a decision to be aware. So when we talk about grace bombing in the context of, of this series, we're talking about, okay, I, I want to I be prepared at the beginning of the day. I'm going to take a card or a couple. I'm going to put them in my pocket. I'm going to take it with me. And I'm going to be aware of opportunities today. The way that Jesus did that, the way that he made himself aware, the way that he loaded is this. His incarnation. Now that's a big word. You might think that's a flower, but that's a carnation. Uh, the incarnation simply means the time when he took on flesh. He became human. And this is the way that his best friend wrote about it in John 1. In the beginning, the word already existed, which is kind of an interesting concept, right? In the beginning, the word already existed. This word is Jesus himself. He's poetically talking about him. And he says, when the beginning came, Jesus was already there. The word was with God and the word was God. When, when did God begin? He didn't. Can someone please explain that to me? Because I don't get that. And Jesus didn't either. Like, Jesus didn't begin. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He exists in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. So Jesus is eternal. He existed with God the Father before creation, and He's described as an agent of that creation. And then you see this a little bit later in John 1, verse 14. It says, so the word became human. Now listen, many of us here are humans. <laughs> Chose my words carefully. Many of us. And I think there's days where we wish we weren't. You ever have days where you wish you weren't? Things we say, things we do, ways we feel the end of the day when you've worked hard or the next day or as you get older, two days later, you're like, why am I sore? Oh, two days ago, I did something strenuous. That's weird. I must be human. And so 
even us as humans don't always love being humans. Could you imagine not being human and deciding, I'm a God, I am God, I'm going to become human. Who would do that? I wouldn't. But Jesus would, and he did. He became human. He made his home among us. Could you imagine creating the world, and then it gets all messed up with sin, and he's like, yeah, I'll go live there. Don't sign me up for that. Good thing I wasn't God. I wouldn't have ever done that. And I'm guessing most of you fellow humans wouldn't have either. And yet we have a God who would and did. He was full Here's why he did that, because he's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. So sometimes when you're angry at someone, you say to someone, you're full of it. You want to know what Jesus is full of? Unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So the author of DNA wraps himself in DNA and he puts on a body and he draws near to us. He comes to our world. He sits in our mess with us. He experienced our pain, our struggle, our temptation. And so when you and I go through things in this world, we need to know that there is someone who can relate to us. In fact, the one who made us can relate to us because he became one of us. Now, I'm sharing all this with you simply for the fact that today as we look at the, the example of the best grace bomber in history, he literally is someone you can relate to because he lived on this same earth, went through the same mess that you and I go through. Here's the way the author of Hebrews put it. Hebrews 4. So then, since we have a great high priest... Now, in, in, in the ancient days, there was a priest who would, who would be the go-between between people and God. Today, who is the priest who is your go-between? There's no human priest. Don't let anyone ever trick you or deceive you. Jesus was the final priest, and he's called the great high priest. And he has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. Because of that, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And I, and, I, and I almost can picture this exchange in heaven where you've got God the Father and God the Son who's sitting at his right hand. And we come boldly to that throne, not because we deserve to enter the presence of perfection, but because we have a high priest who is our go-between. And when we are struggling, when we are hungry, when we are tired, when we are tempted, we can go to him. And I can just imagine Jesus like, I get it. I was too. I remember what that feels like. And he literally goes to bat for us in the presence of God. Is that not an incredible privilege? We have someone who goes to bat for us. So Jesus felt our struggles and our temptations. Jesus got close to us and he gets us. 
And that's kind of this whole idea of grace bombing. We got to remember the whole reason Jesus was able to do intentional acts of kindness is because he came to our earth and he lived with us. So there's this word that we hear sometimes but not enough called empathy. What is the definition? How would you define empathy? What does empathy mean? It's not apathy. Empathy is what? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to describe it, but it's kind of putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And that's exactly what Jesus did. That's why he was so good at this thing. He put himself in our shoes. And so a question that we can ask as we consider, how can I bless the, the, the neighbor across the street or, or next door? How can I bless the person I ran into at the fast food place? How can I help the person who um, just brought me a delivery? How can I bless my coworker or a family member? It's been fun watching our kids grace bomb this week. I've gotten a lot of money on my counter. Coins. One daughter said, go buy ice cream, Dad. She gave me, I think, 50 cents. I don't think she understands inflation. <laughs> but I appreciated it. How can we do these intentional acts of kindness for others? Because they're such small things, but... I don't think we do them well until we step into the shoes of other people, until we have the empathy of Jesus. There's someone that did this, and, and their story, someone got the Grace Bomb card, went to Grace Bomb, and, and submitted the story, and here's what they said. They said, when I came into work, I had a letter in my mailbox. Inside was a generous gift card and an incredibly encouraging note along with the Grace Bomb. The note was incredibly genuine and more than made my day. The evening previous, I had been talking to my wife about how discouraging my work can be at times. So the timing was perfect. I mean, how simple, how small, and yet how much it can change the course of a person's day to, to, to be on the receiving end of an intentional act of kindness. Now, what's kind of popular out in our world today is, is random acts of kindness, and that's fine, we just want to go a step beyond that and do intentional acts of love like Jesus. So Jesus loaded by coming to earth. Jesus also did the second step. He listened. And I think when, when we think of listening, there's a couple ways to think about that. For one is I need to listen to the needs of those around me. If I'm not aware of the needs of the people around me, I'm never going to be able to empathize. I'm never going to be able to meet those needs. But I think there's an even bigger way that we need to listen. We do need to listen to the needs of those around me, but who do my ears need to be in tune to the most? I have a heavenly father who very much wants to communicate with me on a day-to-day -day basis. He hasn't just kind of created me and left me alone and he's watching me do my thing. He very much wants to communicate with me. And you see Jesus and his example was often going to his father as he had concerns, as he had burdens, as he had struggles, as he had temptations. And he'd go to his father and he'd have this communication. And, and maybe the, the, the night where this came to the surface the most was the night where he was going to get betrayed and arrested. And hours later would go to his death. 
And as a human, he's, he's realizing like his body is about to go through the deepest pain he's ever experienced in his life. He's God in flesh. He's never experienced pain. And, and the pain he's about to experience is gonna be the worst pain a human can experience. And he's about to intentionally go through that pain to drop the biggest grace bomb on the world called the cross. And in anticipation of what he's about to go through, in all of that apprehension and, and struggle and concern, perhaps even anxiety, he goes in prayer to his father. And I want you to read with me that prayer. A part of this prayer says this, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. I mean, it's just a very helpful, heartfelt, honest prayer. He's like, if you're willing, can we do a plan B? Is there another way? Could you take the suffering? Now, I think it's easy to just assume that the suffering he's, he's considering is the physical suffering he's about to go through. And I think that's part of it. But the other suffering he's about to go through is he's about to take every lie, every murder, every rape. He's about to take every sin and literally carry it upon himself. And that's a suffering that I don't think we can understand. It's a spiritual and emotional burden he was about to take on himself. And he says, please, if you're willing, take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. What a cool end of his prayer, right? I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. So what we find with Jesus is he's seeking God's will and he's strengthened as he prays in reverent prayer. So as we consider how do I do this grace bomb thing, what does this look like? What if I am more often asking God, God, what is your will? for my life today. I have my schedule. I have my plans. I have my expectations for today. But God, what is your will for my life today? Help me to see maybe even the interruptions today as possible divine appointments. Help me to see the people in my life that I would run away from as maybe the people you're bringing into my life for a reason. God, I want your will to be done, but if I'm going to do this, God, you're going to have to give me strength because I don't have the capacity to love people the way that you love me. I don't have that. And so then, this became an example to his disciples that night. Jesus said to them, he, he, he prayed and he was sweating drops of blood and he went to find them because, of course, they were praying hard for him, right? They had fallen asleep. And Jesus keeps waking them up. Guys, like, can't you just stay awake and pray for a little, a little bit? And he says, keep watch and pray so you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Can anybody else agree with this statement? I really want to work out every day. I just don't always want to leave the house to do it. I really want to eat right, but boy, are vegetables gross, right? 
I really, I mean, fill in the blank. We have so many things we want to do, but when the rubber hits the road, it's like, ah, maybe I'll start that tomorrow. Right? I know I should forgive them, but I don't really want to let them off the hook. Just one more day. And we keep putting off the things. And Jesus is telling us, listen, guys, I know you want to do the right thing often, but the body is so weak. Our capacity is so thin. And so the challenge is in this gap between knowing and doing. Knowing and doing. My, my, my one daughter not too long ago was, was in tears because she had blown it again. She had been a bad girl again. She had not obeyed that day. And she was crying like, how come I always do the wrong thing? I'm like, I don't know, honey. Why do you always do the wrong thing? It's as frustrating for us as it is for you. But no, we had that talk, right? There's a gap for all of us between knowing and doing. I, I know what I should do, but boy, do I struggle to do it. And that gap we even see with Jesus. He knew the cross was the path to take. He knew that that was going to be his grace bomb to the world, this act of forgiveness. And, and yet he struggled with doing it, and he filled that gap with Meaningful prayer. God, help me. Not what I want, but what you want. Not my will, but your will. And in this journey that we're all on, this grace bomb journey, that's a prayer that I encourage you to begin praying. God, I know the right things to do. I'm just struggling to do them. So today, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to load up and prepare for some divine appointments. I'm going to be listening today for the needs of those around me and the prompting of your spirit. God, give me the grace to do what you did and take the walk to the cross. And that's exactly what Jesus did. When, when Jesus let her go, here's what this looked like on his last night and last day. He walked to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was fairly suicidal, because this was in sight of, if you've been to the Garden of Gethsemane, you know it's literally in sight of the city of Jerusalem. He was less than a mile from where he knew he was going to get tortured and killed. So he walks to the Garden of Gethsemane, and then he walks to take steps to Caiaphas's courtyard, where it's a sham trial. He goes to the temple council, where he knows he won't get a fair hearing. He's then escorted to Pilate, the governor, where again, he's not going to get justice. He's then taken to Herod's court as he bounces from one court to the next. He then goes to Pilate's headquarters. No one wants to condemn this innocent guy to death, and yet the mob is insisting that he die. He then goes to his scourging. He then takes his next steps to Calvary, the, the place of the skull, and his last steps before the cross. If you're familiar at all with Jerusalem, you know that that road that Jesus walked is called the Via Della Rosa. And it's a famous road that still exists in Jerusalem today, parts of it. And you can walk the road that Jesus walked on his way to the cross. What's interesting is 740 years before Jesus was even born, there was a prophet who saw this happening. He was somehow given the ability to see into the future and he saw this happening and what he wrote about it was fairly descriptive. Isaiah 53.4. He said this, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his 
own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, has strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. My friends, that is really good news. And that is the good news of the gospel. Jesus' steps should have been ours to take. Jesus is our ultimate motivator. He is the master grace bomber. And Jesus' example gives us the fuel to draw on so we can do this to other people. Now, some of us are not secure. We struggle with reaching out. We would rather just perhaps be in the background and not create any attention or stir, and we feel like these types of things might do that. And and we're scared. We won't say the right thing, do the right thing, that sort of thing. So as we look to Jesus as our motivator, and you might say, well, Jesus is so high of a standard. I could never live up to that standard. Be like Jesus. I couldn't do that. I'm not God. Jesus not only is our example, but he is the one who has supplied us with everything we need for life and godliness. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So one more time, turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus has given you everything you need. Isn't that cool? Boy, you're tough. You're tough. So in Ephesians 1, there's a listing of the things that he's given us. And just a few of them I want to highlight this morning for you, of the things that he has given us out of his generous supply, kind of as he dropped this grace bomb of the cross on us and on the world. Here's some things that he gave us. For one, he has chosen us. He has chosen us. Before the earth was formed, we were on his mind. If you are a child of God, you are literally chosen by the king of kings, the creator of the world. You can be secure in that. You have been chosen by God. You have been adopted by him. Some of you are adoptive parents. Some of you have been adoptive. I'm an adoptive, adopted daddy, right? Adopted daddy, that didn't sound right. A dad who's adopted, I don't know how you say that. But some of our kiddos came to us by birth, but one of our children came to us through adoption. And that's really special because that was our choice. The other ones, maybe not so much. (laughs) Adoption is incredible as this redemptive act of kindness. And that's what God did for us. He didn't have to. And yet if you're his kid, it's because he chose to include you in his family. He's a really good father. Some of you didn't have or don't have good fathers. God is a really good father. And he chose to have you in his family because he loves you and he likes you and he wants you to be his kid. And it's out of that reservoir of love that he invites us to be kind 
to the people around us and to show his grace. He has chosen and adopted us. We are forgiven. I mean, not only does he bring us into his family, but he takes all of our sins and he says, I forgive you. I paid for every single thing you've ever done wrong and everything you'll do wrong today and everything you'll ever do wrong, I have already paid for it. It's covered in full. You're forgiven. Boy, that should be a motivator for us. I am chosen, adopted, forgiven. Ephesians 1 goes on and says, I am an heir. I am an heir. That means I have an inheritance that's coming to me someday. When I die, I inherit something that's never going to run out, never going to fade, never going to get old. And that inheritance is a motivator. And then another thing that he says is we are sealed by the Spirit of God. I can't ever run away from the love of God. I can't ever run away from the family of God because he will pursue me around the world and back. The result of Jesus and his grace bomb of the cross to us is that we have everything we need. We have every spiritual blessing. We have been chosen and adopted. We have been forgiven. We're an heir and we've been sealed. And the list goes on and on. Where would you and I be without the cross? I mean, that's almost a scary thing to even consider. But where would you and I be without the cross? We would be uncertain about who God is. We'd be probably confused about what God's like. We'd be working to tip the scale in our favor, working to earn our way to heaven. We'd be trying to keep up with the Joneses, holding grudges and holding back forgiveness. We'd be carrying our own burdens. But my friends, we don't have to be people who live this way because Jesus has dropped the cross into our lives. I want to share something this morning that's, that's a little heavy on my heart today. But I think it's just yet another example of a generous God. Um, our, our, our lead usher here at our green campus is a guy named Jim Yankelitis. Right? If you've been ushered in here, you had someone pat your back, guessing it was probably Jimmy. Yankelitis. Jim last Sunday um, collapsed during church. And since then, he's been in intensive care uh, with kidney failure. And the man who ushered so many of us into this room in a few hours from now, we expect will be ushered into the presence of Jesus. Jim is one of the kindest most faithful men that I have ever met in my life. Every Sunday, Jim asked me how my week went. You know, the difference with Jim when he asked that is he really wanted to know. Last night, I had a chance to just sit with him and pray with him one final time. He couldn't talk, but I told him about my week because I knew he'd ask if he could. 
Jim was one of the first people to arrive here every Sunday. He just wanted to serve. He just wanted to help. One parent told me this morning that Jim had a different handshake for every single one of their four kids. Jim's brother Dave texted me this morning this and I want to share it with you. He said, Justin, thanks again for praying with our brother yesterday. We all know what a sweet, gentle, humble man James was. I can never remember a time when we were together that he wouldn't speak of his church family. His family would like to thank his church family for the love they gave him. As the sun rises on one of the toughest days of our lives today, it also rises on Jim's greatest day because he gets to rejoice in the presence of his Lord. From our family to Jim's church family, thanks again. You, you just bow with me in a moment of prayer right now. My friends, Jesus, <laughs> he's the master grace bomber. And, and I don't say that flippantly, right? He gives us the cross. And along with it, everything we need, including people like Jim. I mean, I truly believe that Jim was a grace bomb that God placed in this community and in this church. And, and, and this community and this church were friendlier places because of Jim. And he leaves behind this, this huge hole but it's one that you and I have the privilege of filling with that same kindness and unselfishness and grace that Jim showed to all of us. 13 years, and I don't think I ever heard Jim say a bad word about anybody else. His life was loaded with grace. And I know where he got it. He got it from a gracious God who had adopted and chosen and forgiven him. And now we get to be people who follow our master Jesus and love and care for the people around us as, as Jim loved and cared for each one of us. As our Father in heaven loves and cares for each one of us. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. For the cross that he dropped on our lives as this act of grace. Something I could never deserve and I could never earn. Thank you for Jim, for dropping him into my life, into our lives. And God, as he's so generously ushered so many of us into your, into your presence in this room each week. I pray that today you will graciously usher him into your presence and he will find his inheritance and his eternal joy with the God who loves him so much. God, help us to remember that time is short. Our clock is ticking. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Let us love the people around us, not to get anything back, but just because you love us, 
no strings attached. God, in our lives, would you be lifted up and exalted? Would you be magnified? We pray this in the awesome, gracious, and powerful name of Jesus Christ.